Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We're talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty now, let's get to it. Today's episode is an HHTR flashback favorite. We're talking about making a millennial living, how the gig economy offers financial opportunity for all. Let's join the conversation with Natalie Sisson, which originally aired in January of 2016. Natalie Sisson is a number one best-selling author, podcaster, speaker, and adventurer who believes everybody has the right to choose freedom in business and adventure in life. She's on a mission to ensure 1 million plus entrepreneurs do just that by the year 2020 over at thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. Natalie was born in New Zealand, and she's built her multiple six-figure business from her laptop over the last five years while living out of her suitcase, traveling to 70 countries, and showing others how to build a profitable online freedom business that supports their ideal lifestyle through her Definitive Freedom Plan program. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is a great pleasure because it took us a while to chase down (laughs) the right kind of guest because I know I I knew you were out there. I know that people like you exist because I am part of some of these global communities such as Elance, Upwork, Odesk that I call upon to support our business over here at Harvesting Happiness. And I know from my own experience with building the show and building a coaching practice from a sightless model that this is the wave of the future. Tell us a little bit about how you run your business and and, and how it supports your dream lifestyle. Yeah, well, so for the last five and a half years, I've basically had a business that I can run from my laptop or if I'm really smart from my smartphone. And that was really important to me so that I could move around the world, travel and have adventures and still have a business that was working hopefully in the background and that came with me. So I worked pretty hard to set that up because as you can imagine, a lot of people with brick and mortar businesses 
think that sounds like the dream. Um, but there's a lot of systems to set up. And as you say, using things like Upwork to hire and build a team that crosses multiple time zones so that you can be kind of online 24-7 without actually having to be yourself online for that time. So that's essentially what I've been working on for the last five and a half years, and I love it. And what kinds of interests uh, and, and skill set do you bring to this digitally nomadic lifestyle? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I have eight over eight years experience in the corporate world. So I took a whole lot of that experience in marketing, brand management, event management, and later in business development. And then I created and co-founded a technology company, which was my first foray into entrepreneurship world. So I think that was building a Facebook app um, using social media to gain an audience and build customer base. And so I took all that experience from the corporate and that into my own business, uh, which is essentially teaching people how to build a business online that they can take anywhere. And what I really do is I tell people I sell freedom because at the end of the day, I'm passionate <laughs> about people having a life a lifestyle that they love supported by a business that totally fits with them. Um, and that's what I've always been after. So I think that's the beauty of what I do and what I think my unique skill set is. I live and breathe this way of life. And so it's been much easier for me to come from a point of view of, you know, traveling the world and all the pros and cons that come with that. It's not always beautiful. I mean, most of the time it's amazing. And now being back in Wellington, actually setting up what I call my freedom headquarters has been a totally different shift and change to see how that works for people who live you know, and want to be in one place, but have the freedom to have their own schedule each day and maybe work a midweek weekend and not work at all in the afternoon or, you know, have more time for their friends and family. And this truly is an ideal. I, I, and I can speak for myself and my own goals and how I've worked the business of harvesting happiness is to create this model where one can be sightless. And this is fabulous for people that have portfolio careers. And I know this is a, a catchphrase that's very popular right now. You have people that have had a vast amount of experience in many areas that can then in turn offer these skill sets to others. And what you have is this fabulous synergistic way of doing business and moreover doing life. Absolutely. And it's interesting you call it sightless. I kind of like that. Maybe I can change suitcase to sightless entrepreneur. Um, but I love my brand too much. But another word that gets bandied around a lot or words is location independence. So the thing with that is most people think you always have to be traveling. But what I see from my community is that 60 to 70% of people who are in the suitcase entrepreneur community actually just want more freedom in their hometown. So as I said before, just to be able to work from home, but to choose their own hours, to choose what they work on, when they work on it, to take holidays when they want. And I think that's the beauty of what we're talking about here. So having the flexibility to be able to work from anywhere and choose where that work is being done. I agree. Let's break down the moniker digital nomad for those who have not heard it yet, because it's I think it's a newer phrase. It's quite a, a smart phrase amongst the young set. But the uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the the older folks like me may not know what that means. 
yeah, that's true. Well, I'm in my late 30s, so um, I don't consider myself super young anymore, although young at heart. But to me, it's actually been around since I started just because I've been in this for so long. Um, but it was very new when I started and it was just emerging. Now I think it's a little more commonplace. But essentially what it means is digital obviously means that you are working online. Everything can be done in the cloud. You're accessing things like Google Drive and Gmail and Evernote and Asana and Dropbox. So everything is digital. There's no sort of on the ground um, related work, if that makes any sense. Or well, of course, there can be. You can do events, workshops. You can have your own base, um, but everything can be done online in the cloud. And then the nomad part is really for people who just want to have no base, so they're not bound to any location. Um, they're nomadic in that they can travel the world. They can do it on their own terms, and really just sort of take the adventure and go on a journey and have that lifestyle from anywhere. So that's where digital nomad came from. And I agree, it's definitely a younger crowd of people who decided to maybe after university go and do their own thing. A lot of people head up to Southeast Asia or South America where it's a little cheaper to live, where the internet is good, um, where there's a lot of other people just backpacking around or enjoying themselves and at the same time creating businesses that they can run from their laptop. And I think this speaks to the heart of business in the future. So many of us were raised with the thought that, you know, we, we go to school, we graduate from high school, we go on to university, we pick a profession, and that's it. And that model is really quite a dying breed of... Uh, yes, of, thank goodness. Uh, thank goodness, right? <laughs> And th this doesn't Absolutely. mean that the skills, you know, that the that the, the discipline itself is dying because these individual disciplines, you know, law, medicine, and, you know, on and on and on and business is, will still go on and be perpetuated. It's the, the way that the, the product is dispensed is changing. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not trying to say for anybody who has a job that they love, I love that when that happens but I just hear too many people feeling very trapped by the nine to five that they've got into that the work is not fulfilling that it wasn't what it um, you know what they set out to do when they left university or college and that's more what I'm frustrated about for those people that there's just been this traditional path set up that everybody feels they can't deviate from which is so not true we have more accessibility and opportunities than ever thanks to all these fantastic digital online companies tools and technologies and you know I have a few people in my community like one who actually is a nurse and what she's done is teaching other nurses how to set up their own kind of freelance business because there's lots of contracts around the world for nurses they often get paid more they have more flexibility of hours so she is a nurse that's teaching people how to be it's bossy nurses her website and I love it Oh, hilarious. No, this this is fabulous. And in, in terms of uh, telehealth, I mean, this field is becoming wide open too. it used to be that a doctor would would practice and consult with his or her patients only in the office. And now we are seeing these viable medical practices where um, consults and diagnoses can be made via a, a, a video conference, a video meeting. Exactly. And um, then the the doctor can then refer, if, if the client is traveling, refer the client out for services elsewhere. So the world is changing. And this is what I believe is, is so exciting about what you do, what you t teach and support, and the model that you're living. Absolutely. And you've, you've nailed it on the head there. I mean, there's just more and more opportunities, as I said, for us to be able to work remotely 
doing jobs that traditionally had to be in one place. And that's what's so exciting about it. And let me just share too with our listeners and the community that Harvesting Happiness is a model of this. We have the radio show, which our producers are based, Toginet is based in Texas. Our supporting producers uh, at KBU are in Malibu, California. The Public Radio Exchange is based in Boston. Our um, social media support team is in South America. The editors that work on my creative writing work are based Based in Canada. I mean, it's really a That's global awesome. team. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really yeah. amazing. And the clients that I coach privately are based all around the country and overseas. And it's just, you know, it's, it, it's schedule dependent. It's not dependent upon having a place or an office. And this is what I'm so excited to share, you know, that we can um, create a life of meaning, a prosperous life, doing what we love and not being constricted by an, uh, an office or what anybody else has to say about it for that matter. Yeah. And for those people listening who are like, well, I don't know if that can be me. I mean, I was recently featured on 60 Minutes New Zealand. And one great thing that came out of that interview was just showing people that, yes, this is not for everybody. We are going to need to take a break. And I want to give our guests, I want to give our guests, I want to give our listeners the opportunity to check out Natalie Sisson's work. You can find her at the at suitcaseentrepreneur.com. Once again, the website is suitcaseentrepreneur.com. And on Twitter, that handle is at Natalie Sisson. And let me spell that for you. It's S-I-S-S-O-N. And on Facebook, that page is Suitcase Entrepreneur. We're going to head out to the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back. Let's return to the conversation with Natalie Sisson that originally aired in January of 2016. Now, we are having a really a very exciting conversation about what it means to live a digitally, digitally nomadic entrepreneurial life. And what we mean by that is taking your laptop, your smartphone on the road with your business in it and not being bound to a conventional office 
And with me in the studio today is Natalie Sisson. Actually, she's coming to us from Wellington, New Zealand. She is an expert in this arena, and we have chased her down for months and are lucky to have harnessed her for a few minutes to talk about the suitcase <laughs> entrepreneur lifestyle. Natalie, tell us a little bit about what that suitcase lifestyle really looks like. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating to a lot of people because at the end of the day, it involves having very little stuff and I think focusing on experiences over stuff. So I have lived out of my suitcase full time for five and a half years and literally have everything that I need in a a medium sized suitcase. People are often quite surprised that it's smaller than they think. And I think over the years, I've just become very good at knowing the essentials that you need because when you're traveling the world, you can pretty much buy anything you need if you absolutely do um, require it at the destination you're going to be. So at the end of the day, it comes down to um, having clothes that you feel comfortable in that can work for you in business situations, um, in travel situations, and sports situations, which is pretty much sums up my life, and really just getting very minimal about what you really do need. Um, it also means packing up your life mentally. And I think for a lot of people, that's the difficult transition is how do you um, build a life on the road and mentally be prepared for that, be prepared for change, for different cultures, for things maybe not going your way, for new experiences, for missed planes, uh, trains that are running late, just things that you can't control in your everyday environment when you are staying in one place. And I actually think that's the exciting thing about it that makes life more beautiful because you have to adapt and you have to be flexible and you have to be good at dealing with change. And if you are, all sorts of cool opportunities can come out of it. Agreed. And I want to just add that the science of happiness, positive psychology research supports what you're sharing in that when we travel, what we love so much about travel is it places us in a position of curiosity, wonder, and delight. We're open. Our minds mm-hmm. become more open to new experiences. And that creates a sense of uplifted emotion. Absolutely. And beautifully put. And I agree, actually. I also think after all these years of traveling that there's a point at which if you're not feeling that as much or if you've been traveling full time for a long time, it's actually lovely to stick around and stay in one place and open your eyes to all the nuances that are going on in that city, that village, um, that destination that you wouldn't have seen if you were passing through or were just, you know, a visitor. So I think there's flip sides to both, and both of them are quite amazing once you experience them. But I love the way you've talked about that positive psychology that comes from it. And I often find when I come back home or I I stick around in a place for a while that I have very much an open-eyed perspective on the world that other people don't necessarily share because they're very much caught up in their day-to-day lives. So I think everybody should do more travel, actually, just for that very reason. And I think this is something that people who live in your neck of the woods, Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, because it is so far from other parts of the world, that your culture has breeds a continent of travelers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't feel that far away from everything. I feel like we're on top of the world and everybody else is far away from us. But I think (laughs) think you're right. (laughs) A lot of people do go, gosh, you know, Europe's a 24 hour flight away. And, you know, the US is actually it's become a lot less these days, but it's at least sort of 10 to 12 hours to get to LA, for example, from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, And I think, yeah, there's just so much to explore as well. I adore Southeast Asia. It's fascinating. It's totally different. The languages are incredible. It's a totally unique culture. And yet it's not that far away, um, same as South Pacific. So 
uh, I absolutely agree. We probably are bigger travelers for that very reason. And you don't think twice, in, in my experience, of, of going for a week or a long weekend, it's, which is very different from in the States, oh, if people are going to go to Australia or New Zealand, they are going to go for a good amount of time, several weeks, because it's so far away. I get that, though. You know, you've got to spend some time in paradise. It would be a shame to come all the way out here for a week. You wouldn't even be able to really capture just everything that's at your at your fingertips here. But I agree, going over to Asia for a week or something still seems like a little far away, but it's much more doable. And Australia is just a hop, skip and a jump, as they say. It's a quick two-hour flight away. You've recently returned to your country of origin. You've been on the road for five years straight. You've come mm-hmm. back to New Zealand. What does this lifestyle look like to you now? Uh, Well, it's still a ton of fun and it's like a new adventure for me. So I came back because my father was actually ill and I was really grateful for the fact that my business allowed me to just drop everything. I was in Portugal at the time and come back to be here with family. And I kind of ignored my business you know, energy-wise um, and focus-wise for a good few months while that was happening and felt very, very grateful that it was still running, my team was helping me, and that everything that I'd set up over the last five years was in place. And I've recently bought a beautiful apartment in the heart of Wellington, so I'm right in the heart of the city. I get to walk to everything, and it's a little bit like discovering a new country because I have not lived here for 11 years. And I call it my freedom headquarters Uh, And I've really kept to a minimal space still, so I still don't want to buy stuff. I've obviously had to set up an apartment, but that's been quite fun as well, just to see what that feels like to have more stuff, but keep it minimal, keep it clean, keep the space, because that's really important to me. And I think it's actually rather lovely to finally have my own space to focus on and see how I would set up a place compared to what I've seen over all the years of um, traveling with others, living with other people, renting, house-sitting, just how I still don't want clutter in my life and that fewer things um, is really the way to go in terms of my happiness and my freeness here. So it's a whole new experience, but it's a really fun adventure. And so Freedom Headquarters, Freedom Central, is a flat (laughs) in in downtown Wellington um, Mm -hmm. with minimal amounts of stuff, maximum Mm -hmm. amounts of uh, creativity, Exactly, and, and, and light and, and space. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what are your plans for the coming year? What, what, what's next for well, you? I'm actually really excited to, I do have much travel in 2016, however, less of it at such a crazy, frantic pace. Um, often my travels are based around events, speaking, conferences, and a big portion of next year is playing at the World Championship Ultimate Frisbee Games in London, England. Um, So I'm training for that. And my business is going to change only a little in that it's still all online, but I actually want to build up a community here of freedom fighters in, in and around New Zealand and have VIP days at my house where I'm masterminding with people, which I've never been able to do before. I I run mastermind retreats around the world, like I have one in Bali next year and one in Portugal. But to be able to bring people to my home and work on their freedom mindset and their business is something that really excites me, to be able to invite them into my freedom headquarters and do that. So that's (laughs) going to be a totally different thing. Indeed, but almost a natural progression, you know, that here you are, you've you've gone off in the world, you've had adventures, um, you're still a young woman, but yet the idea of homesteading and creating a base or a nest or a crib of one's own, depending upon how you look <laughs> at it. <laughs> the crib, yes. The crib, come on. <laughs> it, it's, it, it is part of 
the evolution, right? We want to have roots in some way, and the sightless aspect is um, exciting, and it's, it's evergreen, actually, but yet it's nice to have a place to come back to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very appealing, actually, and I can see it more now after my wanderlust has been firmly established and I think, you know, very much fed that I'm really excited about having a base, which seems probably odd to other people. And um, and I'm just really excited about the freedom that comes with that, being closer to friends, being closer to family, being able to develop those relationships. Because one thing when you're on the road all the time that um, you know people can suffer from is just really creating those long-lasting friendships and relationships by putting in the quality time with them. So it's a whole it's a whole new chapter, and I can see the benefit from both ways of living. But definitely still traveling. Well, I wish you the best with this, and I hope you'll come back and share more of the journey as it evolves, because you are touching upon the pulse of what the world needs now in terms of creating more happiness, well-being for the individual, which in turn, when we do work like this from a joyful, heartfelt place, we go out into the world and affect others and inspire others to do the same. And that is the power of what you are doing. Um, and I want to thank you for being with us to learn more about Natalie Sisson. Please visit thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. Once again, that's thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. On Twitter, you can find her at Natalie Sisson. Let me spell that for you. It is S-I-S-S-O-N. And on Facebook, that handle is, or that page is, The Suitcase Entrepreneur. And if you were to share with us, Natalie, a couple quick pearls of wisdom for somebody who's wondering how to dip into this world, what would you recommend that they do? Well, rather cheekily, I would love for them to check out my blog and even my book because I feel like I wrote the definitive Bible for anybody who's wanting to become a suitcase entrepreneur. Uh, But ultimately, I would get them to really question what lifestyle they would love, like really have a very clear vision for how they'd love to wake wake up in the morning and spend their entire day. Because the minute I get people to do that exercise, it's called the perfect day exercise, I think they start to see for themselves that maybe they're not living the right life right now. Maybe they don't want to be commuting anymore or working for somebody else. Maybe they want to be spending more time with their family or adventuring or spending time going out and playing sports and having a business that supports that. So once people get clear on that, then I think they get clear on whether they're a good fit for suitcase entrepreneur lifestyle or being a digital nomad or just being location independent and free. Beautifully said. So you can reach out to Natalie directly. Check out her website. Let's take a quick pause. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain Happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. 
Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. And we're back to an HHTR flashback favorite focusing on making a millennial living, how the gig economy offers financial opportunity for all. My next guest is Diane Mulcahy, and this episode originally aired in May of 2017. Let's join the conversation. The book we're talking about today is The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off, and Financing the Life You Want with author Diane Mulcahy, who's also a professor teaching a course on this at Babson College. Welcome, Diane. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. Uh, You caught my eye because of this MBA class that you're teaching at Babson College, the gig economy. You've been doing it for five years, and I am sure it is a popular class. Explain why. Well, I have been teaching it for five years. I created it uh, before the gig economy was even a thing, and I think it's become popular because students have really copped on to the reality of the workforce and how it has changed from traditional nine-to-five jobs into much more of a gig economy. So they're eager to figure out how to navigate and succeed in this new working world. In the past, uh, I mean by in the past, for people who are an older generation, we were called upon to identify um, an area of interest, pursue that area in college, and come out with the name of X, Y, and Z as our career. And as younger people are moving through the educational system, they're seeing that 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 dream of being that one person may not be a most importantly satisfying enough, or B generating enough income to take care of their needs. Yeah, I think um, for most people, we can expect to have two or three careers over the course of our working life. And certainly, the way the work world operates today, most of us can plan on changing jobs 10 or 12 or 15 times over the course of our working careers. So it is a much different environment, and the idea that you kind of pick one profession or position and then plan to do that for the next 40 or 50 years, particularly at one or two companies, is just not the way the world works anymore. And from my perspective, and and I'd love to know yours, that's a good thing because it allows us to really have this portfolio experience in life. Yeah, my position is that it is a good thing, and I think the data clearly bears that out. There have been so many reports and surveys and interviews with people who work in the gig economy. And by the way, I should also state, when I talk about working in the gig economy, I'm not just talking about Uber drivers, so your listeners should know that. Um, The way I talk about the gig economy is very broad. It means that if you're not a full-time employee in a full-time job, you're in the gig economy. So if you're a consultant, a contractor, an advisor, an on-demand worker, or a freelancer, or a part-timer, you're in it. Um, And all of the interviews that have been done 
on people who work independently or who work non-traditionally indicate that people choose to work this way and they are so happy working this way. They're more satisfied, they're more engaged, and they're more productive. So this is all good news for people in the workforce. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I I am one of those gig gig economy people. And in that, I do my radio show. I work with clients privately. I consult to companies. I do research for other larger companies. So, and, and I'm happier doing it this way because I have autonomy. Well, and let's face it, it's more interesting. It's more interesting and challenging to have a portfolio of work that you've chosen and that you enjoy doing. In addition, working independently in the gig economy, as you, as you rightly point out, allows people to really retain control over their work life and their life in general, which means better balance between professional and personal lives. And everybody, I think, is seeking that. <laughs> yes, I agree. And also there, is a, um, there are multiple levels of income. And, you know, multiple streams of income, I should say. Yes, and I come from a financial background, and um, it amazes me that people say to me, well, you know, I really want to get a full-time job. I, You know, I want the security and the stability that come with that. And I think that is really an outdated myth. I mean, if you look around at our economy, there's so much change. It's such a dynamic uh, environment to work in. Companies are constantly getting acquired, doing layoffs and downsizings and right sizings, or they're outsourcing and offshoring jobs. Um, there is really no security and stability working for one company anymore. In fact, it's risky because you've put all your eggs in the one employer basket, um, so you're not diversified at all. When you work in the gig economy, most people have multiple projects for multiple clients and, as you noted, multiple streams of income, which means, well, if you do lose a job or a contract or a project, yes, you'll see a dip in your income, but you're not going to see it go to zero like you would if you were laid off from a full-time job. So for a lot of people, there is much more security and stability in the gig economy than there is in the traditional jobs economy. I, I would agree. And, and let's also, you mentioned that this, we're not just talking about Uber or Lyft, that there are other um, facets to this gig economy, one of which is a is a new platform that we're interviewing in the second half of the show. Um, WeGo is the name of it, and it's a healthcare platform for bringing um, healthcare industry together with patient leaders and practitioners that can um, help give insight into the needs of of the healthcare industry. So th- lots of interesting companies are popping up as a these platforms are showing up to um, act as introduction, uh, you know, matchmakers, if you will, to you know people looking for work and people needing the work done. Absolutely. And those are emerging across industries and sectors. So there are platforms for MBA graduates, for consultants, for graphic designers, for software coders, for lawyers, for doctors. It really, the gig economy is broad. It covers all sectors, all professions, all income levels, all education levels. It's definitely not just Uber and Lyft. Um, Let's talk about facing the fear of going 
out into the world as a solopreneur. Many people who were used to uh, working in the so-called protection of a, of a big company and perhaps they were laid off or downsized, um, they go off into this world and they're filled with fear about going out there themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think any change brings about fear. Um, so in my book, I really, I spend a whole chapter addressing that and I have uh, a variety of exercises that I walk readers through. I think the best advice that I can give to people who are afraid is, uh, particularly people who are still in full-time work, is to really start thinking about this before you have to. Um, it, preparation uh, is the way to go here in terms of managing fears. If you are in a full-time job, Start thinking about what your exit plan is while you're still in your job. Start thinking, what if I knew that in six months I was going to be laid off? What are the things that I would be doing to prepare for that professionally, personally, and financially? And start doing those things so that you are never caught out by the whims of your employer. Secondly, um, I think it's really important to have a side gig all the time. And a side gig allows you to kind of put your toe in the water of the gig economy and start experimenting with what else could I do to generate income? What is the market demanding? What is the market willing to pay for the skills and the experience and the expertise that I have? And what are some other skills and experience and expertise that I should go out and get in order to make myself more attractive? So starting to think about this while you're still working in a full-time job is definitely the best advice that I can give. We're going to take a break in a minute, and um, we'll, we'll do that. And when we return, I want to talk about the financial upside of the gig economy, because if you are doing consulting work, the pay is actually significantly higher than if you were working as a full-time employee and the balance becomes in how we manage our money and how we forecast those those financial needs. Would you agree? I don't agree fully. Um, it's, it's not always the case that what you are making as a consultant is more than what you're making as an employee, obviously. It depends on how you set your prices, how, negotiate, how you negotiate your projects, what you were making before. It really varies from person to person. What I can tell you is that for many people who work independently, it is true that they end up making more than they did when they were in full-time work. But that's not guaranteed. <laughs> But Got it. Let, let's jump off to that break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation about money and the gig economy. We are talking with Diane Mulcahy today about her book, The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off and Financing the Life You Want. To learn more, please visit dianemulcahy.com. And on Twitter, you can find her at Diane Mulcahy. Let's take that break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? 
What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back. Let's rejoin the conversation with Diane Mulcahy that originally aired in May of 2017. We are talking about the gig economy, not your grandfather's nine to five job, taking care of business on your own terms. And we're talking with Diane Mulcahy about her book and her MBA class that she teaches at Babson College. The book, the book's name is The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off and financing the life you want. Diane, prior to the break, we were talking about consulting fees, that in some cases they may be more than we are used to making, in some cases they may not, depending upon the industry, skill level, etc. or if we're using the gig economy to do fill-in work while we're researching other jobs. Let's talk about uh, a little bit about financial planning and the, and the need to be somewhat financially flexible if we're going to take this on. So I think that one of the key differences in the gig economy versus the traditional jobs economy is that you're no longer getting the same paycheck every week or every month, whatever, however you get paid. Um, the gig economy, uh, of course, for many people in the jobs economy, income is variable, right? So you have people who are relying on bonuses or commissions or profits or shift work. So for many people, income volatility is a way of life, but certainly that's true in the gig economy. And I think it changes um, how we have to think about managing our finances. One of the concepts I talk about in my book is this idea of financial flexibility. How can you design a life in which many of your financial costs are variable instead of fixed? Because with variable costs, you have a lot more flexibility in maintaining your lifestyle on a variable income versus the stress of, let's say, having to meet a lot of fixed monthly costs no matter what. So it's a different way of structuring and organizing your financial life. I think you used some powerful words in designing a life. And I think this is the beauty of what the gig economy can offer entrepreneurs, really some control. Yes, that's true. I think if you're planning to work independently, um, for most people, it's a conscious choice. And it really does require thinking at the front end about 
you know, what do I want my work life to look like? What am I trying to get out of my work and personal life? How do I want to design a life that gives me um, the things that I want, that is consistent with the values that are most important to me? And in my book, I go through a lot of those exercises right up front. I mean, the first chapter is called Define Your Success, and that's really important to get, have an understanding right up front about what is the life that you want to design? And since we're talking about finances, the question really is, what is the life that you want to buy? And I think that's one of, you know, one of the realizations I had from teaching this class over five years is that, you know, many students came to realize over the course of our class that they were buying a life that they didn't really want and ended up making major changes. And I, I encourage that. And here's the thing with this gig economy and my own personal experience is I may choose to work really hard for uh, a couple months straight, taking on more than would be a normal workload. But if I then want to take off and travel or just be home with my kids, or in the case I've got teenagers that are college bound, one is in college and one is on his way, I can go take him to, you know, to tour for colleges and not have that stress of, um, you know, having to work and and balance that while I'm trying to do something else to take care of my family. So it offers some liberation for uh, all of the moms out there and another way of uh, looking at taking care of the family. Actually, I think it offers that liberation for moms and dads. I don't think this is a mom-only benefit. Um, And I, I have heard that consistently from people that I have interviewed. The idea that you have the freedom and the flexibility to make the choices in your own life that are consistent with your values and what's important to you without having to go hat in hand to an employer and to request the time that you need to execute on the priorities that you have in your life. So that's been a completely consistent theme. And I've heard from so many people about how they have used the opportunity to work independently, to spend time with people that they care about, to spend time with family members who are sick, to spend time with uh, children at key inflection points, to spend time supporting a spouse, whatever it is. Um, And I think that is one of the huge opportunities of the gig economy. The other side of it is um, working as a consultant from the comfort of wherever you are, as long as you've got connectivity, you can be working at odd hours, you can be working in your PJs, I mean, you could be working at 35,000 feet above sea level while you're flying somewhere. There are a lot of upsides, I find, to to this flexibility. There absolutely are. My, the last article I wrote is, is called, Will the Gig Economy Make the Office Obsolete? And I think it will. Uh, I think that the idea that you can be geographically agnostic and can work from wherever you want, whenever you want, how and how much you want, offers enormous freedom. And for people who are not interested in that kind of freedom, there are always uh, WeWork spaces, co-working spaces are popping up for people who feel like they need a little bit more structure, a little bit more discipline, maybe uh, a place to go. They don't have a good uh, setup at home in order to do work. So I think there's so many more opportunities about where and when to work, and it allows people to work when they do their best work and where they do their best work. And that's really what matters. And I think the gig economy is slowly, more slowly than I would have expected, 
but slowly shifting the emphasis from place and time. You know, you must be in the office from nine to five, five days a week, and switching it instead to the focus on results. What are you delivering? How much are you delivering? Are you delivering things on time? Are you delivering things that are high quality? Are you delivering things that add value? And to me, that's really what matters. And we can all learn from the gig economy uh, to manage people by focusing on the results that they deliver, not where and when they do their work. And if you feel you are in control of your life, that you're appreciated for what you are delivering, that you have some uh, flexibility in your day, your emotional life is going to be more satisfying. And therefore, in other words, you're going to be happier and therefore your output is going to be better. Well, there's not one single study, and I know because I've looked, that says <laughs> that working in an office nine to five, five days a week makes employees uh, happy, productive, engaged, or satisfied. But there are a lot of studies that say that remote, flexible workers are, in fact, more productive, satisfied, and engaged. So I think the, the data speaks for itself on that point. And you mentioned these communal workspaces, and I had an experience uh, a couple of months ago. I had gone to New York City for a series of meetings, and I met with a very large corporation who will be nameless, but had a satellite office in New York City at one of these community workspaces, and it was incredible. I mean, the 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 vibe, the and you know the energy, the enthusiasm of and diversity of the people who were working there was wonderful. Plus, they were just comfortable spaces. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and for people who you know don't enjoy working at home. The co-working spaces really offer an excellent middle ground. So people like them because they can avoid the usual office politics, the FaceTime requirements. They can work autonomously. You know, WeWork spaces are generally open uh Many are open 24 hours, so people can go to them when they want, when they want to get work done, and they have a lot of control over their environment. They can work at a big, long table with lots of other people, or they can sequester themselves in a quiet room. Um, and many, much of that autonomy and freedom from politics and FaceTime is not available in a traditional office. So co-working spaces really do offer uh, a great middle ground for someone who doesn't want to work at home but um, really does not enjoy the office environment. And they're cost-effective. I mean, there are even drop-in rates where if you're in a city working and you want to go to one of these spaces, you can work for a couple of hours. In the one I was in, there was a restaurant. There were little, like, phone booth-like cubicles that if you wanted to, you know, really work sequestered, you could. Um, then there were office, you know, other offices and then the big conference table style that you mentioned. Let's move on and talk about um, saving for retirement and the financial a uh, aspects of the gig economy in terms of um, uh, benefit. Because if you form a, an LLC or a corporation, there are also significant tax benefits. 
There are, and I think saving for retirement, this is not well known, but saving for retirement is one area where being an independent contractor is more advantageous. Uh, you're better off in terms of sa- your ability to save for retirement if you're an independent contractor than an employee. And that's simply because the limits are so much higher if you're an independent contractor. You can put away, if you structure yourself the right way, and obviously have high enough income, you can put away up to more than $50,000 per year. Whereas as an employee, you're usually capped out at 18000 and then whatever your employer matches, which is usually, uh, you know, 3 to 5% of your salary. So it doesn't get you anywhere near the uh, $50,000 that you can save as an independent contractor. All of that said, I do want to point out that uh, even if you're an employee and you have a 401k and the company matches you very generously, for the most part, Americans still don't save for retirement. So it's less of it's less of a question of the ability to save than it is actually saving. Uh, that's where we need to make progress. Um, so across income levels and across job situations, whether you're an employee or an independent contractor or self-employed, uh, people don't save for retirement, and that's really what needs to change. In your book, you talk about uh, saving for a traditional retirement, but don't plan on having one, which speaks to not saving enough. But I think there's another aspect of retirement, and that is Many people who retire and have this fantasy of, you know, going to golf or going to travel all day or being at home with the grandkids find it disappointing once they get there. So I'm not so sure it's good for us emotionally, physically or otherwise to be fully um, disconnected from uh, not just the workforce, but from engaging on a daily basis. I would agree with that. And my interviews when I was researching for my book indicate that most people, if they had to pick their ideal, would continue to do some kind of work to be engaged in their communities after they, quote unquote, retire. I think what's really changed is our vision for retirement and our grandfather's view of you know, stopping work on a Friday and hitting the beach or the golf course on a Monday isn't really what people imagine. Um, you know, I think most people today, especially professional knowledge workers, imagine more of a tapering off of working, you know, no longer working full time at full capacity, but maybe still working part time or working on projects or consulting and doing that from wherever they want, whether it's the beach or a golf community, um, and picking the projects that they're interested in and staying engaged. So they're still earning income, not at their, not at their prior levels, uh, so they still need to have savings, but as long as they can work, they want to contribute. We are nearly out of time, and I just, I am a huge fan of your book, The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off, and Financing the Life You Want. I, I would love to sit in on your class. I think this class at Gig Economy at Babson College is amazing. Do you offer it online? Is it part I of edX or anything like I that? Yet. That's that's an interesting idea. Um, but I, I I have been teaching it every year for the past five years. To learn more about Diane Mulcahy and to buy her book 
please visit dianemulcahy.com. You can find her on Twitter at Diane Mulcahy. And once again, the name of that book is The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off, and Financing the Life You Want. So once again, this is not your grandfather's nine to five world. Um, Get out there, create, explore, and um, find a good gig for yourself. Thank you, Diane, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on this HHTR flashback favorite. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Natalie Sisson and Diane Mulcahy, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.